This is Our People Podcast, telling the stories behind South Tyneside and Sunderland NHS Foundation Trust. Hi everyone, my name's Melissa and I'm the PR and Social Media Assistant here at STSFT and you're listening to Our People Podcast. Today we're going to talk about Organ Donation Week and I am joined by the wonderful Dr. Shaz Wahid and Dr. Sid Ahmed. We will discuss everything from live organ donation to new breakthroughs and answering some FAQs at the end. Dr. Wahid, would you like to tell us a little bit about your role in the Trust? Yes, I certainly will. Just like to point out, this is my first podcast. I'm a big fan of Mel and Smith and Two Ronnies and Little and Large. If anyone's ever seen me and sit together, he's large, I'm little. Um, I'm also wide and he's thin in that aspect. So what, you know, my role in the organisation, yes, I'm a consultant acute physician, so I see patients not as often as what I used to before. I'm also executive medical director, but a key area in my portfolio as medical director is um, chair of the Trust Organ Donation Group. Um, I don't do all the work, but I have a really good team of two clinical organ donation leads, um, um, Shiv Garung and Pete Hersey, supported um, by the regional organ transplantation nurses, um, who are wonderful. But also we have committed individuals and a group from ED and um, um, critical care. Um, And also we're very lucky to have input from two of our governors as well. Um, It's high on our agenda as an organisation. We perform well uh, in terms of getting patients um, to donate organs and raising awareness. Uh, So my role is just to be an enabler for the, the staff in terms of organisation, being aware of national evidence, um, national campaigns, and generally supporting and doing my best in terms of increasing the um, trust's you know, footprint in terms of organ donation. Great, thanks Dr Wahid. Um, Dr Ahmed, aka Large, how about you? Yeah. Do you want to give us a little insight on your day-to-day role and how everything relates to organ donation? All right. Thank you very much, Melissa. Thanks for the invite for the podcast. I'm pleased to be here. So organ donation is close to my heart. I'm a kidney doctor and I deal with patients who need organs such as kidneys. And I know firsthand how they have to wait for those uh, kidneys to arrive on the transplant waiting list. So I know that uh, that is a difficult time for patients as well. So over the last 15 years, whilst I've been working here at uh, STSFT, I've had a number of patients who have had successful organ donations. And we look at those figures of organ donation regularly and you will be aware of some changes in the law which we'll probably touch on regarding organ donation and how there are some disparities in our communities regarding organ donation as well. And that's something I'm quite passionate about. So more recently, since 2019, I've been working with a number of organisations, including NHSBT and the British Islamic Medical Association, where we've put on some uh, webinars and seminars for increasing public awareness about organ donation. And as you probably know, Organ Donation Week is coming up very soon, and we're looking forward to uh, actually doing more public awareness work, which we will hope help people to understand a quite a complex area, but it is very fulfilling for those who become donors. And for me as a physician, it's very fulfilling for me to see my patients get the required organs and have a successful and fulfilling life. So I'm really looking forward to this discussion. Thanks, Sid. Um, Shaz, would you like to give us a little bit of a rundown on Organ Donation Week, which is, of course, what the podcast is all about and just why it's so important to raise awareness around this? Organ Donation Week is beginning the 26th of September. 
and you know it's it's probably not common knowledge i think the pandemic um meant that a lot of people probably aren't aware that there was a law change i, I was about to say april this year but it's actually april last year the law change was and you know everyone's used to having you know so being aware that everyone had to carry an organ donation card but as of april last year it's what we call presumed consent which is a posh word um, for you know um, opt out so before if someone wanted to donate their organs they had to carry a card so that they were visibly seen to opt in but now we just presume everyone is willing to give their organ um, you know be part of organ donation but I don't want to alarm people we're, you know we're not going to take everyone's organs for no reason we still involve the family so it's presumed consent or what I'd say is a soft opt-out so we always involve the family because um, ultimately you know it, it, the family being on board is very important from that aspect but the whole reason for organ donation week is I think this particular year is to raise the awareness of presumed count um, consent and importantly that the theme is leave them certain so the first thing I did when the law changed was sit down with my family and say by the way I want all my organs donated um, and and they always knew my thoughts and my wishes but I said listen you know if I happen to be in that position I want my organs donated I'd be absolutely clear from that aspect and it is a difficult thing in our culture you know I'm from Asian descent as Sid is as well and it's uh, it, it's it's not common for organs to be donated you know um, in, in the South Asian culture um, hence I felt very important to leave my family certain not just my close my wife my two grown-up children you know my parents everyone who I'm close with absolutely knows that I want to donate my organs so the purpose of organ donation week is raise awareness of that is to give people information to get rid of some of the myths and the legends around organ donation um, so you know we, we'll have our posters around we, we're following the national campaign so there's a consistency with the information as well um, our teams are, are well versed and we're going to have some stands in the main fire in some royal and south tyneside staffed you know, by our staff and our governors are keen to get involved as well and um, to generally raise the awareness of organ donation. Yeah, thanks, Shaz. Um, I think largely that's around deceased organ donation, yep. but there is also um, a live organ donation, which said I know you focus quite largely on. Mm -hmm. um, do you mm -hmm. want to let us know how that kind of works and how it's so important to the trust? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for that. I mean, I echo everything that uh, Shaz has just said. And just to touch back on a couple of his points, it is actually more important this year than ever before due to a number of reasons. One is the law change, which we knew would affect organ donation rates, and it has done, not in the way we expected. And the second one is the COVID pandemic, of course, that had an effect of reducing the number of donations. So those people were already at a, a disparity from getting organs. It has had a double whammy on them that they are now even more in need of those organs because there's less resource going forward. Now, a way out of that is what you've touched on, is live donation. So live donation is when a loved one or somebody who's well known to you donates their organs. And it's quite interesting that in this country, live donation rates have increased a lot and actually sometimes the majority of the organs are donated that way. And we've seen a number of aspects of live donation called altruistic donation, now, another big word that Shaz doesn't like. So altruistic means that somebody, out of their kindness of their heart, 
will just donate an organ into the donor pool and they don't really care who it goes to. But they will probably not find out who it goes to as well, usually. And therefore, that has been increasing as well. So the generosity of the public has been improving, we think, due to the awareness campaigns and general uh, public's perception of organ donation being a common thing, something routine and not something out of the ordinary. Yes, for the family it's a big thing, but actually it's part of the framework of our society now that we accept it. Around the world there's different taboos and cultures and that's where that we are now interested in as groups of physicians and the groups of uh, experts in public health. Our population is very heterogeneous, and what I mean by that, another big word, is different, different cultures. We all you know, have different people living in our communities. And how to make sure the disparity of people who need organs and those who receive organs are equitable. So it's the same across everyone. And that's going to take a long piece of work. And I expected that when we started some of our journeys in 2019. But live donation is one area that really does cut across it very easily. If you know somebody who's suitable to donate and they're healthy enough, and I can reassure you now, those live donors are pretty healthy. They are extremely well looked after, both before donation and many years afterwards. And we make sure that they are suitable to donate. Being a renal physician or a kidney doctor, I know you can live on one kidney quite easily throughout the rest of your life and be healthy. So it is not a big deal from a physiological point of view, but it is obviously a gift of life to somebody coming off dialysis. So we take them with a lot of pride when we do a live donation. And there's many ways to do it, but the easiest one is to get to, from somebody you know in the family or a close friend, and if you can show that bond, then we will go ahead and make sure the individual can donate safely. Great, and I know you touched a little bit there about some of the disparities within organ donation. Um, I know you work very closely with the BAME staff network mm -hmm. at the Trust. Um, do you want to give a little bit of an insight into some of the struggles the BAME community are currently facing within organ donation? Yeah, sure. Um, the BAME community around the country from the last UK census were about 14% of all ethnicities. But however, those waiting on the waiting list for a transplant are up to 27%, almost double. So why is that the case? That we've got twice as many people waiting as those are in the community. And we know also the donor, rate, donor rates of uh, getting donation from these communities is less as before. Now that's improving. We know we've been doing this work for a long time. And therefore we can see that there is a culture change occurring. There's a lot of work going on. So the donation rates from the communities are improving. Now, it's not all very easy to say that there is a bias in the system. There's some bias in physiology as well. So we can't just blame the system to say that there is lack of donation from the BAME community. And one of the simplest ways is that people are more likely to be your blood type if they're from your community than people from outside the community. So one uh, simple fact is uh, black, Asian, minority, ethnic, our blood group B in general. Our white counterparts are usually A in general. So they're going to have a disparity there, even if we remove everything else. That's all that's going to exist. And that's not due to socioeconomic status or health status. That's just the way that communities and gene pools arrive. So we've done a lot of work to really emphasise that and then go on to look at cultural and religious values. And we've worked with scholars in the community, of especially Muslim scholars, but also all faith scholars, such as people from the Jewish community, from the Sikh and the Hindu community. And that's kind of work where we feel these are key individuals in the community who are listened to by public 
and people from the community for advice. So we can give them knowledge and awareness. And believe you me, there is a lot, as uh, Charles pointed out, myths out there due to unawareness and poor knowledge. And our job is to raise the awareness of knowledge in key individuals, or community leaders especially, or uh, faith leaders, so they can give informed decisions and choices to their uh, people in the community. And I think that is now coming to fruition over the last three years of work. Great. So if somebody did want to find out a little bit more about organ donation, they were considering it, but they weren't too sure on what they needed to do, where would you recommend that they, um, they go to? So websites, who would they speak to, anything like that? Yeah, sure. Very easy. First of all, make sure you go to a legitimate area of a website. Social media being where it is, it's very important you go to legitimate sites. So NHSBT website is very good. It has a lot of details right down to different communities. You'll see some of our work that we've done is highlighted there as well. You get it in different languages, different uh, types. You can actually get it printed. You can get it actually listened to as well if you have difficulty with uh, websites and, and that information. So that would be the first protocol. Then there is many other ports of call within health organisations as well, through networks that exist. We put networks in through the organ donation committees that exist and they do a lot of work as well. So I would say that would be your first point of call. Now to get further information, if you want to be a donor to a loved one who may have a, a disease common as being kidney or heart or lung, then all those areas have their own specialist organ donation teams that you'll be able to reach out to. Please, please do not go to social media directly because that is one of the things we have to unpick once somebody's got some misinformation and then unpick all that to then give them the correct information. And you can't believe how powerful that can be when you've got the wrong information in your hands. Great, thanks Sid. Um, we will also leave some websites in the description below if anybody wants to check anything out. So we're going to move on to our FAQ section now. Shaz, our first question is, will being declared an organ donor to donate after my death affect the care that I receive in hospital? Absolutely not. Okay. We absolutely assure you that none of this organ donation begins until we are exhausted every avenue in the care we need to deliver. You know, it's it's not a knee-jerk reaction. It's absolutely the last point of any journey of any patient in our organisation if they fit the criteria. And we sensitively manage it in that we have trained organ transplantation nurses. So we never have a discussion with the family without a trained organ transplantation nurse being there. And I as exec lead actually get the data of how many discussions have we had with families on organ donation and how many times was a nurse, specialist nurse present and the last data we had was 100% of the time that happens because it has to be managed calmly, sensitively, it can't be done in the middle of a busy ward, it has to, it's, it's, it's like when we're breaking bad news we make sure it's sensitively done by trained people as well so if I'm a jobbing consultant acute physician uh, I'm very lucky I'm calling the support of my intensive care colleagues who are very used to ITU colleagues, the anaesthetists, the intensivists, they're very used to my renal physicians, they're very used to having those discussions. So as a clinician in the hospital, I can call on that expertise and also we have specialist nurses who are 24-7 and come in as well and support those discussions. Great. Um... 
Sid, I know there's been some recent updates within organ donation. Um, would you like to give us a little bit of an update on that as well? Yeah, sure. Uh, so you, you touched on it earlier called live donation. So that was somebody living, giving an organ to a loved one usually. Now, the other one is deceased donation. That means somebody's passed away. Now, there are two common ways of people passing away. One, the commonest by far, is those on intensive care units. And if you look at all the deaths in the country, about 1% of people pass away on an intensive care unit in the right way that they can be donating. So we're not looking at large numbers here. They uh, they die from a brainstem death. And so that is the way where somebody on intensive care has had uh, been unwell and they're ventilated and asleep. And then we do some specialist testing called brainstem death testing. And that is then termed the patient has brain death. However, the heart might be still beating and the lungs still working and the circulation is still going. So that's the commonest way. The other one is death by cardiovascular death, DCD we call that. And that's somebody who has come into A&E and they've had a cardiovascular death, usually after somebody's been resuscitated. Now that's a smaller percentage. So what's happened over that time? So that was always there for a long period of time. In the last 10 years we've been having that. And what we have in new treatments is that we know that the best organ you can get is that from a live donor. The, let's take, for example, the kidney comes out of one individual and within half an hour is into a second individual. So the kidney is getting good blood supply all the time. Now, can we do that in the other situations of the DBD and DCD kidneys, which I mentioned earlier? Well, there are ways now of removing an organ and keeping it well perfused, so that means having good rich blood supply, good oxygenation and nutrition, and improving it before we put it back into somebody else. And that, in the last five years, is new. So we are actually not only taking organs from somebody who's passed away on intensive care unit with a brainstem death, but we're improving the quality of the organ that the individual is going to receive better than it may have been in the individual it's come from. So that is a big distinction to make. And that really helps. It helps a lot of people in the BAME community because one of the sticking points that we get, I think, in different faiths, and especially the Muslim faith, is the belief that are you truly dead if your brain is dead, or are you truly dead when your heart stops? And from the layman point of view and the common person on the street, heart stopping is the commonest way of somebody should pass away. But that's not the commonest way we get an organ from somebody. It's usually when the brain is dead. So you can be a, a donor, like Shaz is, and he can stipulate that, yes, I've opted in, but stipulate I only want this kind of death for myself where my heart stops. And therefore, that's in line with my faith and I'm happy to donate my organs then. And you can state that on the NHSBT or the organ donation register when you're in there. And that really opens up a large number of people who are now comfortable to donate, which they may not have been with brainstem death. And what I can say that to individuals now with the newer technologies, those organs are just as good as almost live donation organs. So therefore that's a win that you have your wishes of dying in the right way within your faith and the organ quality is as good as somebody who's getting a live donor. I think you know over the years technology has improved so much um, and, and not necessarily technology but processes so um, when people are, you know, when organ donation is happening to help with perfusion, we actually, the transplant teams from the Freeman um, come on site here to retrieve the organs. And what they've now done is they've enhanced and um, 
you know, looked at the procedures of actually perfusing the organ. And before, he used to have to use like six pints of blood, but now we can get that, that two pints of blood, you can do it quickly. Um, it's a big long word of what they call it, and so I forgot the name, but again, it's how do you actually make sure that the organ itself stays safe while it goes to the Freeman Hospital. And a lot of work goes into this. And, and I think it's, it's important, as, as Sid has said, it's about saving lives but also it's about enhancing lives, you know, from that aspect. We always think that if you donate an organ, you're saving someone's life, but actually it's about enhancing lives. So simple figures I would say is that, you know, one person who donates can save up to eight people's lives, but enhance the lives of 50 people from a tissue organ, you know, don donation, just donating the corneas as an example. And I, when I've been, you know, I've been, you know, fortunate um, enough to, to work across a range of specialties and I've come across people with corneal transplants and it's a very common thing uh, in the Sun and I infirmary um, so every little bit helps. Great thanks and I know you touched on just there Shaz about um, technology improving and kind of improving the way that we take organs and um, one of our frequently asked questions is does organ donation and tissue donation after death cause any disfigure disfigurement to the donor? Um, would you just like to touch on that a little bit? No, it, it, it doesn't. Plenty of people can still have an open casket. You know, everything is done sensitively, compassionately and humanely. Um, and all of the organ donation retrieval teams, they're specialist teams, you know, they're specialist surgeons. Uh, so I haven't come across any cases of disfigurement and it's all sensitively managed. Um, and it's like if the, if a family member wants to be in the same room at the same time, we'll accommodate the wishes of the family at the end of the day. Um, so no, absolutely not. Great. I think that's so reassuring for people to know, especially if they're considering on not on the fence, the 50-50. Um, Sid, would you like to let us know who can become an organ donor or a tissue donor, which was one of our most popular questions that we had? Well, that's quite easy nowadays that uh, most people are suitable to donate, especially with the presumed consent. They then goes on to find out if they're healthy enough to donate at the time. So if you've got any long-term conditions, even I'll share you an anecdote at the end of this, but even if you've got long-term conditions, you may be suitable to donate certain types of tissue that you may not think are suitable. Uh, so I, I would say because of the presumed consent and soft opt-in, most people are now considered suitable to donate. At the time of your you deceasing in the right way, which we talked about earlier, which is intensive care, then the teams there will know all the criteria that are suitable for those people to donate to. So, yeah, frail, elderly, you've got somebody passing away, but there may be still organs that can be taken, such as uh, tissues, as I mentioned before, skin is possible as well. So really, it, comes down to the question of how certain you want to donate something from your body and you feel that is the best way to go forward. The anecdote I'll share with you is that uh, people's willingness to donate is so strong. So I had a patient who had a couple of organ transplants themselves, so they had renal transplants. Unfortunately, they then deceased uh, for another reason, but then they became a donor after receiving organs and their liver was then sent to somebody else who then achieved a good outcome. So they had got two kidneys themselves. And then by the time, a few years down the line, they succumbed and became unwell. And that was from SDSFT, from our unit here. And I was in 
I thought in a privileged position, we had a patient who was brain dead, as I said earlier. They were on the organ donor register, although they've received organs themselves. And we had to do some treatments to keep their circulation going so that the retrieval team from Freeman can come and take the organs. And to the extent, and this touches on the point made earlier, how much care do we do? Well, we do as much, if not more, care for that patient because we are knowing that we want to take a very good, high-quality organ and we want to make sure it's in a good condition. So that individual was brain dead, but they had something called dialysis done to them to improve their circulation and their, what we call, salts in the body so that they could then have an organ removed to go somewhere else to another person. They then deceased, but the family very much know now that they got a gift of life for their loved one, in this case daughter, but the daughter gave a gift of life in her end of life to somebody else. So it was a very nice story. Thanks, Sid. I think that was a really nice story for you to share with everyone. Um, our final FAQ is, is there a limit to how many organs or tissues an individual can donate? No. Not particularly. No. no, if they're healthy, it really depends on what they want to donate, but there's no real limit. And going forward, there's lots of stories around the world, people uh, donating just about everything. Uh, you know, people, it's now, as I said to you, know, it's in the fabric of society, donation is common from those living, doing what the word I use, altruistic. So you can do your kidney, part of your liver, you can do your bone marrow, you can do platelets and blood products, and then after uh, passing away, you can do multi-organ donation, including tissue and all. So this is a really growing field as it becomes common. What I really want to finish on is the challenge for us, we were doing well, is what's happened in the last couple of years through COVID and also law change. These two things have just come, unfortunately, combined at the wrong time. One was enough to deal with because we felt when we did the law change nationally, we followed other countries which are around the world, but also other home countries like Wales and uh, Wales and uh, especially, and what did happen when you moved to this soft opt-in or presumed consent, there was a slight reduction in people donating, but that is, was picking up. But then COVID came along and then made a further reduction, and so therefore this year it is doubly important we have this awareness campaign to remove those two area two successive years where we had a slight reduction in donation. We think the overall trend is good. And we will follow the other countries that made these law changes before us. And they have did show a reduction, but then over a five-year period, they improved again, back to baseline. And generally, uh, as a physician or a doctor in this field, through the COVID pandemic, and I can say definitely for SDSFT, my patients who are on the transplant waiting list really did get quite a lot of organs. Uh, that's because of personal choice. I kept my patients on the list, and I thought, actually even through the COVID pandemic whatever organs can we should get them into the our patients because they've been waiting for a long time that's important now other uh, teams took different decisions and when they take different decisions more organs are available in the larger pool and if you keep the door open then you're more likely and it was we find it generally safe that people got donations through the COVID pandemic and people just as well yes there were some complications about surgery and timings and things but generally it was safe and those people have done well. Shaz, would you like to tell us a little bit about what is happening regionally with organ donation, what's going on in the northeast? Yeah, so we have a regional organ donation network. Um, it has a regional chair, 
there's a regional chairs meeting, you know, for people who are on the organization committees and um, groups like myself. Um, the clinical organ donation leads meet regularly with the SNODs of specialist nurses in the organization. There's the annual conference they have at the regional level, and then we have the national conference. And it's all about, it's all about best sharing practice in that aspect. And then there are the more specialist societies which you know do a lot of work around organization and, and I know our regional renal network which Sid is heavily involved in is doing a lot of work so I'll, I'll ask Sid a bit more about that. Thank you very much Charles. Yeah you're absolutely right so the renal network has just come online this year and one of our work streams is organ donation especially looking at the disparity of organ donation and uh, equitability and also in uh, deprived communities. So we'll be using that work over the next two to three years to see how we can improve that locally and working with our national partners. And although we are quite homogeneous white in the northeast, there are deprived communities within communities is one of the things we talk about. And to access them is quite difficult and how we communicate with them, what kind of social media we use and what kind of forums we use. So this is all part of the work stream and we've really been very privileged actually at SDSFD to have a public health consultant who's helped us with this and uh, we've tapped into his knowledge in, uh, in our hospital as well and he's really, really been very useful as part of that drive and he's now helped us in the real network as well. Thanks Sid, I think that's led us nicely on to just emphasising again as to why Organ Donation Week is so important and that is what this podcast is all about. Um, that was the last section of our organ donation podcast and I have learned a lot and I hope everyone who's listening has done too. Um, a huge thank you to Dr. Wahid and Dr. Ahmed for joining us today and sharing some stories, answering all of the questions um, and as I touched on earlier we will leave some organ donation links below if you do want to check anything out. Um, thank you so much to everyone for listening and again just a huge thank you to Dr. Wahid and Dr. Ahmed for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Our People Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and check out our other stories. Hit subscribe to keep up with the latest and catch up with what we've been up to on our Twitter, Facebook and Instagram pages. Just search for our name.